Well, as you can see from the outline sheet, we'll be uh, visiting several different passages, uh, all in the Gospels uh, this evening, but it'd be good to start by uh, opening to our reading, which was in Luke chapter 23. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Famous last words. I think we're all familiar with that expression. Um, Any time words are powerful. A careless word can kindle strife. A cruel word can wreck a life. A bitter word may hate instill. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. Words are powerful at any time. But they are particularly powerful when they are someone's last words. Someone has passed away and we ask the question, were you with them when they died? And what, what, what did they say? We give a lot of weight to someone's last words. When it comes down to the very end, final words are often most telling. Of course, there was no one more famous than the Lord Jesus Christ. Never a man spake like this man. And the Bible does record his last words as he was dying upon the cross. And predictably, his words are powerful and full of significance. On your outline sheet, you can see that Jesus actually said seven things as he was dying upon the cross. The first one that he mentioned, and these are in chronological order. The first one is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I thought about this and I asked myself, Glenn, what would you say? If someone had just spat upon you and ridiculed you and tortured you and stripped you and nailed your hands and feet to a cross, what would I say? What would you say? I suppose it's not really so helpful to speculate as to what we might do, what we might say in an extreme situation like that. I'm sure we can't really give a definitive answer. I think we'd probably like to say what we'd like to do. But I do know what uh, I have said and done when people have done less to me. It might be something as simple and as silly as someone ru- rubbing me up the wrong way. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He prays for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they are doing. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to say, if they did know, what they were doing. If they did know who it was they were doing this to, then then they wouldn't have done it. When Jesus was brought before the council, he was tried and falsely found guilty. He didn't say a word, didn't say anything. He answered not a word. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He didn't open his mouth to men, but he did open his mouth to God. He prayed to his heavenly father as he always did and he didn't stop now 
And this is a great lesson, I think, for us. There are a lot of things that happen in our lives that come along and they actually stop us from praying. But we ought not let things stop us from praying. We ought not let things drive us from prayer. Rather, we should let those things drive us to prayer. And I think if, if our first response about such things was to pray about it and pray for them, I think our second response wouldn't be regrettable as it sometimes is. There hanging upon the cross, Jesus prays for those who, do, who did it. He prays for them. In the words of Isaiah 53, he maketh intercession for the transgressors. Notice it says for them, not against them. Remember when Elijah was on the run. He thought he's the only faithful prophet of God left. And listen to what Paul recounts of him in Romans 11 verses 2 and 3. Paul asks the question, Hath God cast away his people which he foreknew? Watch ye not what the scripture saith concerning Elias or Elijah, how he made intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone and they seek my life. Elijah intercedes to God against Israel. But Jesus intercedes to God for them. Elijah wants them judged. Jesus wants them forgiven. Jesus wasn't concerned about his own pain. He was concerned about the sin of others. He was concerned for their forgiveness. And as Jesus is dying upon the cross, his last words, words where he prays for the forgiveness of his enemies. The next thing that Jesus said as he's dying there upon the cross is actually found in John chapter 19. Please leave a bookmark in Luke chapter 23. Turn over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 verse 26 and 27. John 19 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the other disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Woman, he says, Behold thy son. And then to John he says, Behold thy mother. <clears throat> when Jesus was on the cross, he was the, the object of bitter mockery. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they challenged him to come down from the cross and they said, If they... If he did, they would believe in him. They were just mocking. There are many other people there that also caught this spirit of mockery. They reviled him. Thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. This kind of abuse was contagious. The soldiers joined in. So too did the malefactors. It says they cast the same in his teeth. They threw it all in his face. And the prophetic psalm describes the crowd that was around the cross. It says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And amongst those who were gathered round the cross, weren't there, wasn't there anyone then? Wasn't there anyone there who would uh, supply a, a glance of sympathy for him? Or, or, or weep on his behalf out of love for him. Well, thankfully, there was a little group. There was a little group. We know all his disciples forsook him and fled, but John was there. 
John was there with a band of women, faithful women. Praise God for faithful women. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Spare a thought for Mary. How she was feeling at this moment. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing for a parent to bury their children. It's a terrible thing for parents to watch their children die. In this way, think about Mary. Little, how little did that young mother know and understand when Simeon said to her that one day a sword would pierce through her own soul. And in the midst of his own agony, Jesus considers Mary's anguish and he made sure that she was looked after. Woman, consider John to be thy son now. John, take Mary and care for her as if she is your own mother. You know, when we're under a lot of stress and strain and pain, it's very easy for us not to think about others at all. My wife will tell you I'm a terrible patient or she's perhaps too gracious to tell you that she knows I'm a terrible patient. And when I'm sick, I'm not, I'm not interested in anyone else. I'm not, I'm not interested in anyone else. And maybe you can identify that when, we, when, we, when we've got a terrible toothache or something. It's very, very easy for us to be, to be concerned about our own pain and we're not really thoughtful about others at all. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where, where, where it's like, you know, I'm the one who needs the help. I can't be expected to help anyone else. Or I'm the one that should be getting the help rather than giving the help. I think the church at Philippi has something to teach us here. They took up a special offering for, for Paul and yet they were poor. Paul says that they gave out of their deep poverty. They were under a lot of financial stress and strain and yet they weren't just thinking about themselves. They were actually thinking about others. And Jesus here is under incredible stress and strain and pain and he's very, very mindful of others. As Jesus dies upon the cross, some of his last words are words of care and concern for others. The third thing that Jesus says as he dies upon the cross is found back in Luke chapter 23. So let's, let's turn back there, please. Luke 23, verse 43. Actually, pick it up, verse 39. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now let's bear in mind that this thief originally ridiculed Jesus, but now he does him reverence. And what it was that actually caused this man to have a, a change of heart is probably not something that we can deal with this evening. But notice he acknowledges that he's a sinner. He acknowledges that he's guilty. He acknowledges that he is deserving of this punishment. He acknowledges that Jesus is without sin. He acknowledges that Jesus is the Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus can save him. He actually calls upon the Lord to save him. He believes that Jesus will rise again from the dead and will come again in his kingdom. And on the basis of his own confession of sin, and on the basis of his profession of faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ then and there saves him. And he actually gives him assurance of salvation too. 
Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Man can strip Jesus Christ of everything, but that doesn't affect his ability to save. Even in this hour of his greatest humiliation, his life's blood is all but drained away. Even there in the moment of acute weakness, he's able to, to save this repentant, hell-deserving sinner. And if that's the case, how much more can Jesus save now that he's risen and ascended in glory, seated at the right hand of all power and authority, where he ever liveth to make intercession for us? Friend, here this evening, if, if, if you think you're too, be, too bad to be saved, if you think Jesus can't save you, then read again. If you're, you think you're beyond saving, read it again. Jesus says to this man, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And as Jesus dies upon the cross, his last words are evangelistic. Provision of salvation to those who, anyone who would repent and believe. The fourth thing that Jesus says when he's upon the cross is actually recorded in two places, but we'll just look up one. Matthew 27. Please turn over to Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Fourth thing Jesus said upon the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In one of the darkest moments in a Christian's life is the time when for some reason we might feel as if we're forsaken by God. A man who battled with this in a, in, in a, in a very, very acute way was the hymn writer William Cowper. He had some remarkable spiritual insights. He left us with some great hymns like, Oh, for a closer walk with God. God moves in mysterious ways. There is a fountain filled with blood. Jesus, where'er thy people meet. Hark, my soul, it is the Lord, and more. And yet during the last decade of his life, he was morbid and deeply distressed because he felt that for some reason God had cast him off. He felt that God had forsaken him. And this is not an uncommon experience for a Christian, particularly when we're going through deep waters. But is it true? Is it true? Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Psalm 23 says, Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear because thou art with me. Hebrews 13 verse 5, the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When the fiery trial came upon Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, did the Lord forsake them? No, the Lord was with them in the fire. And he's with us when we go through the deep waters. And he won't forsake us when we go through the fiery trials. And that's, that's the truth of the word of God. However, our feelings and emotions don't always respond well to the truth. And, and, and it may be that we feel as if God has forsaken us. It's an awful feeling. It's not true, but it's an awful feeling. But how much worse would it feel if it were true? Indeed, Christ was forsaken by God. Why? Because of our sin. Darkness covered the face of the land, it says, as an indication that God had actually turned away and couldn't bear to look upon his only son. Can you imagine, a parent, can you imagine 
that your child is in such a state that you loving them more than anyone else, that even you couldn't bear to look upon them. Why does God forsake him? Because of our sin. What was the, what was the wrong thing we did last night? What was the wrong thing we did yesterday? Didn't really think twice about doing it. Didn't think it was a big deal. Wouldn't even be thinking about it now had not the question been asked. Didn't seem significant at all, and yet Jesus thinks so. Jesus died for it. And that's how God views the sin we did last night, the sin we did yesterday. Brendan, let's learn to hate sin. Even though God had to forsake Christ, did Christ forsake the Father? No. He reaffirms his allegiance. My God, my God. Jesus was ever the obedient son. Even if you forsake me, I won't forsake you. And that's an example to us too, isn't it? You know, so often we say, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, we just forget it. We give up so easily. And it was Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When Jesus died upon the cross, he died experiencing anguish, the anguish of being forsaken by God on our account. The fifth thing that Jesus said as he hung upon the cross is found back in John chapter 19. So let's turn back there, please. John chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You know, the spiritual anguish of the cross, we understand, was a greater agony than any physical pain that Jesus endured. And yet, the physical pain was so acute as the long hours passed, that Jesus' physical needs began to express themselves. His body developed a fever for thirst. And so they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a branch of hyssop and lifted it up and gave him to drink. And if you look over in Matthew chapter 27, verse 34, it's recorded that prior to that, it says they gave him vinegar mingled with gall. It says, and when he tasted thereof, he would not drink of that. Why, that was, a, that was a medicated drink. It was a mild narcotic which would deaden the senses, which would change his state of mind so that some of the pain could be relieved. But when Jesus tasted of that, when he knew what it was, he wouldn't drink it. Jesus had no desire to avoid one throb of anguish which was the result of the bearing of our sin. The bitter cup that the father had given him to drink, he drank it unmixed, undiluted. All the pains therein, he endured them all. Fully conscious that he was bearing our sins in his own body upon the tree. Bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, trod the winepress alone. No help to ease the pain. And what a temptation it must have been for Jesus to not resist that drink. You know, how thankful we are for Panadol and for doctors who can prescribe something for the pain. We can avoid it, but he endured it, all of it for us. 
The sixth thing that Jesus said as he bore our sins in his own body upon the tree is found in John chapter 9 and verse 30. It says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. If you read the other accounts in Matthew, Mark and Luke, they record that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, but they don't record what he says. John records what he said. It is finished. It was a shout of a victor. It was a shout of a conqueror. Finished. The long list of prophecies that needed to be fulfilled. Finished. All the types and the shadows there in the Jewish rituals which pointed to this, this moment. All finished. The work that the Father had given him to do. Finished. The matchless beauty of a perfect life. Finished. The final and complete payment for man's sin finished. It is finished. All paid for, paid in full, nothing else to be paid. All done, complete, finished. In the Greek language, the verb is in the perfect tense, which simply means something which is done once and the effect of it goes on and on and on and on and on. When Jesus died upon the cross and said, it is finished, it is done, nothing else Needs to be done. Can't add anything to what Jesus has already done. It's finished. Payment for sin has been made. Paid in full. All we have to do is receive it. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says. But this man. After he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering hath he perfected forever. Them that are sanctified. There might be someone here who is struggling. Struggling to find favour with God. Forget it. Just accept what Jesus has done. There might be a Christian here who's struggling to maintain favour with God, so they think. Again, Jesus has already accomplished that on our behalf. It's already finished. When Jesus died upon the cross, some of his last words were to assure us that the work of providing salvation is complete. And then the final thing that Jesus said as he was lifted up upon the cross is found in Luke chapter 23. Let's go back there, please. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, it is finished. He then said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Only Luke records these words. Having cried out, it is finished, loudly acknowledging that his mission in providing salvation was now complete. He then says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Released his spirit. No man took his life from him. He has power to lay down his life willingly. He has power to take it up again. And having finished the work, he dismissed his spirit and commended himself to God. And brethren, it is a wonderful thing to do at the, at the end of a day to be able to lay in bed at night and say, Lord, I've, I've, I've done the work you wanted me to do today and I just commend myself to you. And what a blessing it is to be able to say at the end of our, our, our life, Lord, I've done what you've wanted me to do. I've finished the work you've given me to do. And commend ourselves to God.
famous last words. Prayer for the forgiveness of his enemies. Words of care and concern for others. Offering salvation to anyone who would repent and believe. Expressing his anguish of being forsaken by God on account of our sins. Expressing his anguish as he endured every ounce of punishment that we deserve. Triumphantly announcing that the work of salvation is now done. Commending himself to the Father who is in full control of all things. No wonder, no wonder we read in verse 47. That when the centurion saw what was done. When he saw all of this, when he heard all of this, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 27 verse 54 tells us something else that the centurion said. He then went on to say, truly, this is the son of God. This is the son of God who dies on the cross for you. This is the salvation that God offers you. Brethren, Islam doesn't have this. Buddhism doesn't have this. Hinduism doesn't have, have this. Mormons don't have this. Spiritism doesn't have this. Scientology doesn't have this. This is, this, is, this is God's salvation. Freely provided for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who dies upon the cross for us. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? These are Jesus' last words which indicate a lot of who he is and what he's done. And what he's done for us is his last words, he's dying upon the cross. Powerful words. Jesus has also a last word to say to you if you're unsaved. There's a day that you will stand before him sooner rather than later. The books will be open. You'll be judged out of those things. If, you look, if, you're, if, you're, if your name is not written in the book of life, the Lord has something to say to you. Last words you'll ever hear. From the Lord Jesus Christ, depart from me. Go into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Christ's last word to you. However, however, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, in heaven that the first words you'll hear, enter into the joy of the Lord. And his words and his fellowship will continue with us throughout all eternity. Brethren, what we do with Jesus... What will you do with Jesus if you are at this moment an unbeliever? Okay. We present Christ to you this evening, his saving work upon the cross on your behalf. No man spake like this man, no man died like this man, no man said the things that he said in life and in death. He is who he claimed to be. He did what he was sent to do, to be the saviour of the world, to be your saviour question is what will you do in response to him this evening i pray that you would re receive christ receive the free gift of salvation which is offered to you in christ this evening let's pray our gracious heavenly father thank you that you sent your son to be the savior of the world thank you for his sinless life thank you for his substitutionary death is atoning death upon the cross on our behalf never a man spake like this man his words are full of significance full of power full of meaning and lord i do pray that we'd give, give good heed to what the lord jesus christ has said and lord i do pray that you would help help us all to appreciate 
the saviour that you have sent and particularly any unsaved people, any unsaved person. Lord, I pray that you'd open their eyes and help them to see that Jesus is the saviour that they need. Jesus is the only saviour provided for them. And Lord, I do pray that they would turn from sin and turn believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, this is our prayer. Thank you for the privilege of sharing the good news of salvation again this evening. Uh, may we who know this salvation uh, rejoice in it. And Lord, help us to look for opportunities this week to share the good news with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.